welcome to Smarten Up, the show where we demystify the complex world of tax and provide practical business insights. I'm your host, Sally Preston. As a business owner, I know how frustrating it can be when it seems hard to access understandable information, particularly when the topic is as complex as the tax law. So in this podcast, we will explore topics to help you make smarter decisions when it comes to your business taxes, which will ultimately benefit your bottom line. Whether you are starting up in business or have been in business for years, this podcast aims to become an essential part of your financial toolkit. Welcome to Smarten Up, the tax and business podcast. My name is Sally Preston and I'm your host. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about expanding internationally. Now, this is a huge topic and it's probably one of the more nerve-wracking topics to try and demystify for you. So what I'm going to do is focus on the top five questions I think you should be asking from a tax perspective before you enter into the international market, and that's any country. So let's say you've decided to expand your business overseas you know the market, you've done your research, you understand most of the red tape involved, and you have a plan for expansion. Have you thought about tax though? We provide you with the top five things we think that will help you with this launch. So number one, what structure does your business need to operate through? Number two, we're going to talk about how will your overseas profits be taxed? Number three is how can the profits be bought back from overseas and brought back to the owners in Australia? Number four is how will any cross-border transactions you undertake be treated? And number five is do you understand the business's Australian and international reporting obligations? Now, I can't answer all the international tax laws for you today, so we're talking from an Australian perspective. We're not going to be talking about indirect taxes such as GST, such as import duty, foreign value-added taxes. We're just going to talk from an income tax perspective, assuming that you've got an Australian business and you're expanding internationally. So let's talk about the first question you should be asking your advisors. What structure can your business operate through? Okay, so when leaping in to expand offshore, there are decisions that need to be made regarding how are you going to do that and in what structure you're going to do that? And at a high level, there are a number of options available. So one of them is that you're going to sell from your seat here in Australia. So they're going to have no actual presence overseas. So this would be appropriate if you don't intend to set up a location in a foreign country, you don't intend to have employees over there, no contractors. Instead, you're going to sell to foreign customers from your home base here in Australia. You may have a marketing person overseas, but they don't really do much more than market. They're not making contracts. And when your customers contract with you, they contract with you back in Australia. So you do all the contract negotiation and finalisation back here. That's where you've got no physical presence in that country. The second one to think about is maybe you do want a presence in the foreign country, but you don't necessarily want a formal structure to start with. So maybe you're going to keep your Australian business and have it trade in the foreign country. Now, we would call that a permanent establishment in some cases, or a branch. So you're going to put a branch in, and you're going to operate that through your existing structure here in Australia. So usually, 
anything that you do in a foreign country has the risk of turning you into a branch anyway. So say you sent employees over there or you bought a premises, you opened an office, then what we look at is what you've done and have to consider a number of agreements that we have with that foreign country if we have one. So have you set up a permanent establishment in that country? And that's going to change the taxing of that entity or of your entity in that foreign country and have implications for you. The third type of structure option you have is to set up a permanent structure in the foreign country. So say you're going into the US market, and we'll give you an example of going into the US in a few moments time. But say you're going to the US, that might mean incorporating a company in the US. It might mean putting another structure. And there's a number of structures available in different countries, and they're all different for their country. Many countries have something similar to a company. But for example, the US doesn't have our trust structure. They have other things like liability corporation, LLC, and other structures. And that's why you would need the advice from a person in country. Now, most Australian advisors cannot give you advice on the jurisdiction you're going into. What we do is we connect with our colleagues across the globe and we get their view on how it might be treated. And then we give our view and we work together to get you the best structure. And that is the way that you would arrange these things. So putting a structure in place in the foreign jurisdiction might actually have some advantages for you though. What it might do is it does give you certainty and it gives you a real physical presence in the country. So it might be required in some countries that you do have that permanent presence or a permanent structure in that country in order to trade in that country. So you do need to check that. In some cases, you might not have many choices but to set up a separate structure. So they're the three options. One is you trade from your seat here. Number two is you establish a branch. So it's the Australian structure trading in a different country. And number three is you put up or you establish a separate legal entity in that country. So they're the three that we're going to look at. So each option that we've just given you gives you different tax outcomes. Now, I'm going to try and simplify it. And that's probably why I've been a bit nervous about trying to deliver this topic. But I think it's an important topic for you to have a high level understanding of. So I'm going to try and simplify the differences for you. But I will say that the international tax laws in Australia, as well as when you have to overlay them with what's going on overseas, are super complicated. And you really do need someone who specializes in international tax to help you with that. So that's our first question. How should you be structured? So you need to make a decision about what you're going to do and you need to work with your advisor to come up with a plan. The second question you need to be asking is, how will your overseas profits be taxed? Now, I've just got through saying that the different structures potentially going to be taxed differently depending on which one you choose. So it's way more complicated to answer this question than just one you know, podcast, but I'm going to attempt to give you the good, the bad and the ugly based on each of those structures. So it's important to first note that an Australian resident entity or an individual is taxable in Australia on its worldwide income. Therefore, if you have an Australian company and it generates income in a foreign country, it would be expected to pay tax on that income here in Australia. So it doesn't matter that you've made the money overseas. Therefore, determining whether the structure you use in Australia as a resident is important. So I'll give you an example of what when a company is a resident of Australia for tax purposes. So for one thing, if the company is incorporated in Australia, it is an Australian tax resident. That's one of the rules. 
The second one, though, is where it's not incorporated in Australia, however, it carries on business in Australia and has either its central management and control in Australia or voting power controlled by shareholders who are residents of Australia. So there's also very similar rules for trust. So basically, a foreign company might still end up being a resident of Australia. Now, this is a bit of an area that's a moving feast at the moment because there's been interpretations of what carrying central management and control means. But I just want you to understand that we need to understand, we need to know what you're operating through and whether they're considered an Australian resident because it determines the taxing rights Australia has to its income. All right. So it's also interesting to know that Australia has a lot of agreements with foreign countries and they're called double tax agreements or tax treaties. So these agreements often specify who has the taxing rights on certain income. So they have rules or agreements that we've made with our foreign counterparts where we say things like, if you've got a permanent establishment or branch in the foreign country, then maybe you do or do not have rights to tax it. But it also helps define when you're considered to have that permanent establishment. So that means that under option two, if you have your Australian entity set up a presence in the foreign country that's considered a permanent establishment or branch, then that income, even though it's generated by the Australian entity technically, that income might be taxable by the foreign country. What then happens is you might get foreign income tax offsets for the taxes you paid overseas. Now, that's going to require a lot of record keeping because if you think about it, you're going to almost need to split your income and keep it in different buckets. What was generated in the foreign country and what was generated in Australia. And there are a whole bunch of rules around that taxation, which we're not going into. But be aware that there can still be foreign taxes on your Australian entity if it's considered to have set up shop, we'll call it, in that foreign country. And there's guidance on what that actually means. Okay. So where instead you've set up a permanent structure, then naturally you'd expect that foreign country to want to tax it. Now, some countries look at whether they're going to tax the income based on where the income is generated. So there are rules around that as well, and that's where you'll get advice from your international accountant tax advisor. There's also complex rules if you set up a subsidiary company in a foreign country owned by a company back here in Australia. Now, what can happen is depending on the nature of the income, it may be attributed back to the Australian parent. Now, I don't want to go into the control foreign company rules with you because it is very dependent on the circumstances and only certain parts of income. But there are a whole bunch of different ways that even where you think you are taxed a certain way, that you might be taxed a different way. So advice is essential. Okay, now it's getting untidy. Let's go on to the third question. How can profits that you made or your entity made in the foreign country be repatriated to the owner? What does that mean? How do you get your money back after you've made profits in a foreign country? Say that you're the shareholder of a company in Australia and you've incorporated a subsidiary, say, in the US. How do I get my profits back into my own pocket? All right. So under structuring options one and two, so number one was where you're sitting in the hot seat in Australia selling from here and there's no presence in the country. Well, it's your money. You made it overseas, but you're taxable on your worldwide income or your company is. In option number two, and you're at a permanent establishment, you have to look at the rules around that. But again, legally, it's still the Australian structure that made the profits. 
So there's actually no reason to have to pay a dividend between cross-border entities. The Australian company made it. You'll get your profits the same way that you would your Australian profits via a dividend. Now, there's some complications around whether you can get franking credits, but it's still the same entity that you've always made money from making that money. Where it becomes a bit more, well, a permanent establishment is complicated. Where it becomes even more complicated is where you have that separate entity and paying profits back via different structures across countries. So it's probably better that I explain how this might work based on an example. So I mentioned it earlier. Let's say you're the shareholder of a company here in Australia. Now, I'm not going to put complicated trusts and things in there. I'm just going to keep it simple. You're the personal shareholder. There's only one shareholder and you own 100% of the Australian company. You've incorporated a US subsidiary. Now, that subsidiary is 100% owned by your Australian company. So we roll forward. Our business is very successful and it makes some good money. So let's say that we made $1,000 profit before tax in the US. So what's going to happen? Well, it's a US company and the US is going to have the right to tax it. Now, the current company tax rate in the US is 21%. That sounds pretty good. But did you know that 44 of the US states also levy tax on company income? So that's another layer of tax that they have. Now, that's complicated because that depends on the jurisdiction. Each state taxes at a different rate, sometimes 2.5% and sometimes up above 10%. So let's just apply an average and say, look, let's just say that the tax and the profits that we're going to go with is 8%. So now we're at 29% tax rate on your company's profits. So that means 29% of our profits is lost to USA tax system. All right. Now, assuming there's no other taxes, and I'll tell you a secret, there are, but assuming there's no other taxes that on the way of passing that money back to Australia, let's pay a dividend. So we've gone ahead and paid our 29%, which is our $290 of US tax on our $1,000 of profit. In Australia, we have rules that when a company receives certain dividends, they're treated as non-assessable, non-exempt income. Now, Again, not going to explain that, but what that means is when a company receives one of those dividends from overseas, it doesn't pay further tax on it. But what it does mean is that because you're not paying Australian tax on it, if you did generate a tax offset from the US tax, you wouldn't have to use it, which means you lose it. Okay, so it's a use it or lose it in foreign income tax offset world. Don't need to pay tax at the company level. Whatever credits you might have had for the US tax is not needed. Now, the problem comes when you pay that dividend out of the US company, out of the US company to Australia, and then out of Australia back to you as the shareholder. So now I've paid no further tax in Australia. I've paid my $290,000. I've got $290. I've got $710 left. So I'm going to declare a dividend and pay myself a dividend. My dividend is going to be $710. Now, if you know anything about dividends, you'll probably heard the term franking credits. Now, a franking credit in Australia is basically a credit for the tax paid by the company paying you a dividend. So if we assume that we didn't pay Australian tax on those US profits, we don't have any franking credits. So when we pass that $710 dividend through to ourselves, so I'm going to receive the dividend, I don't have any franking credits. 
So that means my $710 income, if I'm paying tax the top marginal rate, it's taxed now at another 47%. So what that means is out of the $1,000 profit I made in the US, I've paid both US and now me personally have paid Australian tax on it. And I've paid a total of $623.70, leaving me out of my $1,000, $376 left in my hands. So that's an effective tax rate on that profit from the US of 62.4%. Now, this is not unique to the US. This is common in a lot of jurisdictions across the globe. And it's simply the way our tax system works and the way different structures can interact. So they're my numbers. It's quite frightening to think that when I want to take a dividend from overseas, there can be that much tax. But that's going to lead me into question number four. How will cross-border transactions be treated? So there's more than one way for the parties at your overseas subsidiary and your Australian entity to interact. And in fact, in most cases, they're interacting more than just paying a dividend. It's more common that they transact themselves between themselves in a variety of ways. So let's go through a couple of examples of that. So one is they might lend money between them. So say you're a startup in the US, maybe your Australian company or entity needs to lend to the US to get it going. So there's a loan. The other one is maybe I've got goods in Australia that I manufacture and maybe I ship those to my US subsidiary who then sells it in the US market. So I'm selling them inventory. Maybe the US or vice versa, maybe the US is shipping me inventory. Maybe there's intellectual property or there's systems and processes and maybe they're in Australia, maybe they're in the US, but the other party to the, or the other person in the group, the other entity in the group gets to use those. So we potentially charge a fee for the use of that. Now, there may also be a charge for the use of overheads. So maybe the CEO is sitting in Australia and the CFO and the whole admin team and does all the admin for the US. So therefore, you'd expect that there would be some sort of charge for the services, just so you could really reflect the profits that are made in each jurisdiction. But there's more than just needing to reflect that. It's actually required under our transfer pricing rules. So our transfer pricing rules basically are tax laws designed to address these arrangements when profits are shifted out of Australia. So if you charge a lot of costs to the US subsidiary, primarily through these intercompany and inter-entity charges. So the rules of transfer pricing seek to substitute arm's length conditions for the actual amounts that you might have charged. Basically, it's saying, if you think about transfer pricing is, I don't really care what you transacted at. If it's not considered arm's length, then the ATO is going to substitute it. Now, there are transfer pricing rules in a lot of countries you'll interact with. In fact, many. <laughs> so you need to understand what's required from the Australian perspective, but also what's required from overseas. Now, I can say that the Australian rules are really quite onerous. And what you can do is you can get an agreement between the parties of how these transactions will occur. But what that might mean is that if our $1,000 of US profit, say we didn't charge our US subsidiary any management fees because the CEO's salary and the CFO and the whole admin team sitting here, then maybe we should have charged them $200. We would have had another $200 back in Australia that would have been taxed at no higher than 47% and there would have been 
$200 less in the US. I'm ignoring exchange rates. So $200 less in the US, which means that hideous 62% marginal tax rate has now been reduced. So you can see how transfer pricing can either be used to your advantage or it could be manipulated. Now, the manipulation is what these rules in transfer pricing aim to mitigate and prevent. And so they are something that you must get advice on. But it is to your advantage to not just think linear and that there's one charge being a dividend payback when you've got these overseas structures. The effective tax rate can be changed by the way the parties interact in other matters. Now, we mentioned earlier that maybe the overseas party gets the benefit of things like your intellectual property. So maybe you've developed a great invention here. And so you have trademarks on it and you've got all the secrets are sitting here. So you want to make sure there's a charge to the US. A, the transfer pricing probably needs it. But there's another rule that is also needs to be considered is whether it's coming the other way, but there's withholding tax that often occurs in most jurisdictions. Now, our double tax agreements or our tax treaties usually address what the rate of withholding tax is. So what withholding tax is, is it's a requirement of the person paying, the country that's paying, to withhold a certain amount of tax and remit it to their tax authorities off the amount that they would pay otherwise. So as an Australian resident entity, we must withhold from interest, royalties, and any unfranked dividends that we pay to non-residents. So this is generally at a rate of 10% for interest, 30% for royalties, and unfranked dividends. Now, these tax treaties can reduce those rates or change them. So it's important that your advisor reads those. But there is another requirement there that to be aware of. Now, there are a lot of other international tax rules and you know we make our whole careers on these, so I'm not going to bamboozle you with all the intricacies that we have. But this should hopefully give you a very high-level understanding that the cross-border transactions could be costly and that you need to make these key decisions before you get going. All right, your final question that I said that you should be asking or asking yourself, but as much as you ask your advisors, is do you understand the Australian and the overseas reporting obligations? So what does this mean? This is really important. And now the obligations in a foreign country are going to be completely different to what you have in Australia. So you really need to be asking some key questions to your advisor. So I'd start with, do I need to register the business to be able to trade in that country? Another one is, can you even set up a bank account? Sometimes you need a local director or a representative to operate the business. Maybe you have to have a formal structure in place or maybe you can operate through the entity sitting back in Australia, either as a permanent establishment or staying completely offshore for the foreign jurisdiction. You need to understand what your regular reporting obligations are. So do you have indirect taxes, so like GST, VAT returns, and how often should they be lodged? You need to understand your income tax reporting obligations like you would in Australia. It gets really complicated when you start to hire employees too. So you need to understand a whole bunch of things around employment law matters and do they have a superannuation and a whole bunch of questions around that. And you could have a bunch of legal obligations that you hadn't really thought about that we don't even talk about because we wouldn't know. We're sitting here in Australia. So before you expand internationally and you can really open the gateway for your business, it's not something you just jump into. Formulate a plan, seek advice and assistance essential. 
But here are my five, just to recap what we've talked about, my five questions you definitely need to be asking. And remembering we're not talking about indirect taxes and VAT. So what structure? How will your profits be taxed in that country or back in Australia? How can profits be brought back to you as the shareholder? How will your cross-border transactions be treated? And do you understand the Australian and international reporting obligations that you have? Now, I'm really hoping I didn't completely overwhelm you on that. I hope to keep it pretty high level, but it's a really tricky topic to do that. So that's all I've got time for today. My name is Sally Preston, and I'm the host of Smarten Up, the tax and business podcast, and I'm really looking forward to speaking to you on the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Smarten Up, tax and business. I hope you found the information valuable as you navigate your entrepreneurial journey. If you did, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow business owners. Remember, what we've talked about today is not a substitute for getting formal advice from an accountant or lawyer that is more specific to your circumstances. But knowledge is power when it comes to getting your taxes right, and it can also save you a buttload of money too.